everybody and welcome to another edition it's a very exciting edition as always of words images and worlds my name just like it was on the last episode is jason dehart and i am enjoying some saturday morning coffee with jim rugg jim thanks for joining the the show my pleasure jason thanks for inviting me on absolutely my pleasure i talked with cecil castellucci about a month ago, I think it was. And um, Cecil was just saying amazing things about you. And I followed your work for some time. So glad to have you on a, on an interview call. Cecil's the best. So her name may come up again in this interview. Uh, uh, always, always want to give love to the creators and collaborators and all of that sort of thing. So um, first question pretty pretty typical question for me because i'm always curious what drew you to comics and the visual medium you know i always say um when you're a little kid like everybody draws right when i was in kindergarten first grade everybody in my class drew and by the time i get to about sixth grade i think there's one other kid in my class that's still drawing you know at some point that stops i don't know if it's ever cool but everybody does it whenever you're five years old uh, mm -hmm. And it falls away as you get older. I never stopped drawing. You know, that was always something that I enjoyed. Um, I guess it was something that, uh, you know, I received a lot of positive feedback on. And between those two things, I just kept it up. So, you know, cut to middle school and high school. And I'm the weirdo in the back of the class with this head down drawing instead of paying attention. Um, although that's a little bit of a myth. There's a TED talk mm -hmm. by SUNY Brown about the value of doodling in terms of retention and, you know, basically like taking in information. So it's actually a plus. So all my teachers were wrong about that. Um, but I just love to draw. And so when I'm about between 10 and 12, I'm not sure the exact time I bought a comic book and, you know, I saw the credits in the front of the comic book, the artists and, and stuff. And the drawings looked a lot like what I was drawing because I would draw wrestlers and I would draw like movie characters. So I was drawing these figures. And whenever I saw a comic book, and I saw like superheroes and these characters, they looked like what I was doing in my notebook already. And I saw names associated as like, oh, of course, you know, this is somebody's job that they draw the Hulk or they draw Spider-Man. And from that point on, pretty much, I just wanted to draw comics and I would read about, you know, books on the subject, how to do it, and just tried to develop those skills, you know, pretty much from the age of, let's say 12 on, uh, maybe with a little bit of waiver here and there as I discover girls or, you know, <laughs> start a day job or something like that. But for the most part, it was just comics, you know, from, from there going forward. And I think it comes back to, I just love drawing. You know, that was definitely my first sort of, you know, what pulled me in that direction. And then another thing that happens, I think I was in middle school whenever my favorite artist from Marvel Comics got together and quit working for Marvel and DC Comics. And this is like the Batmans and the Spider-Mans and X-Men, you know, these big giant characters that we think of now with like all the movies. Mm -hmm. the top artists looked around and thought, we don't own this. So they leave and they start their own publishing company called Image Comics, where they would get to create their own characters, their own books, and they would own it. And that became like a big, I was reading all the magazines because I'm trying to figure out how do you become a comic book artist. And suddenly my favorite artists are talking about characters and writing their own books. And so my dream goes from wanting to grow up and draw Wolverine to wanting to create my own characters and, and grow up and do my own books with my own characters. Yeah, that, that was such a unique time for comics. And I say that as just somebody that grew up in the 80s and the early 90s, um, to see those characters hit the stands 
you know, it, it brought something so fresh and so unique while at the same time, DC and Marvel were publishing like the same book in three different versions. And, you know, the, the big like collector's item boom of the early nineties, such, such a interesting time. It's a great time. And of course that's an explosion of popularity for comics because there were a lot of people that were sold this idea of, Oh, a, a new Spider-Man book, buy that number one issue. And then, you know, you put your kids through college whenever you sell it. And of mm-hmm. course, that's not the way collecting works, you know, because right. that Spider-Man sold 3 million copies. There was nothing rare about it. You know, you can still find hundreds of thousands of those out there now pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, it created a lot of excitement in the beginning of the 90s. And then whenever it sort of turns out that like, this isn't a, a great investment, you know, it's, it's Beanie Babies or something that just falls out. And by the end of the nineties, comics are in real trouble. Like Marvel comics, a couple of years after these record setting sales on X-Men and Spider-Man, they declare bankruptcy at the end of 1996. And it's kind of like, what happened? So Mm -hmm. I love the nineties. That was, that was, you know, I was a teenager coming through buying comics at that time and really watching it with a front row, front row seat. But they like go from the the highest highs to like the lowest lows by the end of the nineties. So I agree with you. I think that's a, a very interesting time in comics, a great decade for it. But a lot of people look at that decade um, and, they, and they're very critical of it. But, you know, if yeah. you go back through, you can find amazing stuff. A lot of what we see oh, yeah. today, like the rise of manga or the rise of graphic novels, a lot of that stuff you can trace back into the 90s and what various companies and creators were doing at the time. So I think it's a uh, a maligned decade yeah. by a lot of people, but uh, it's it's definitely near and dear to my heart. Yeah. And I mean, I kind of fell off from comics reading a good bit in the early 2000s. Um, But now we again, we're kind of in this renaissance of creative publications, the graphic novel boom. Um, People are seeing their value for education, I think, more and more. So this is also I feel like I've lived in two really good time periods of both the 90s and, and now of getting to see, okay, the the medium is legitimate. You know, and I think about kids like you were talking about in my classroom and I'm always drawn to those kids. I'm like, that's kind of a bad pun, but I'm always drawn to those kids because I'm like, what, Hey, what are you making there? What's, what's going on on your page? That was such a big revelation for me whenever comics started to get into schools and libraries. And I can remember the moment it really like crystallized for me. I was doing a small press show. It was my second comic book show as a creator in the year 2000. And it was uh, called SPX. It's outside of Washington, D.C. It's been going on now for almost 30 years, but it's mostly self-published or uh, independent publishers. So not Comic-Con with costumes and everything, but more of, I don't want to say a literary model, but definitely more of like people that are creating the books and then people who love the art form, you know, Mm -hmm. coming through. And this older lady stops at my table and looked very different than what I would see at comic conventions typically. And so we start talking and it turned out she was a school librarian and she was there because she wanted to reach every kid she could. And some of those kids yeah. weren't interested in maybe all prose or, or traditional books, but she saw that there was momentum building with comics and with graphic novels. And I just remember thinking like, this is amazing because when I came through school, I graduated high school in 95 and I loved comics. I wore it on my sleeve, you know, and I had art teachers and English teachers that had no interest in the subject. Yeah. And that was something I could do on my own time. Um, you know, and I, it, it's it's something I often talk about, like friends of mine who are a little bit older, who kind of fought the fight that comics are a legitimate art form or can be a literary form and, you know, really fought for the validity of the art form. 
And at this point, I don't know that that battle, it's been won. You know, I think people accept comics now as being capable of great literary heights, incredible visuals. And so you do see them in all these markets that like 30 years ago, you might not have found too much in the local library. And now most libraries that I visit have a great graphic novel section. My local library is phenomenal. So, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky in that regard. Yeah, yeah. And shout out to librarians for fighting that good fight and putting the books out there and, and nourishing readers, you know, like it's, it's good stuff. Good Absolutely. Stuff. Whenever they really started selling like the all ages and selling in the libraries and bookstores, I remember thinking like, oh, we're going to be okay. Because comics had dipped, you know, like in that late 90s period and early 2000s, things were kind of bleak at times. But once it started to look like, oh, we've got a new generation of readers, we've got new outlets that are pushing comics. It really felt like, oh, okay, I'm good. This, this should outlive me. I should be fine. Just keep making comics. You'll be okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so you might have already answered this, but what do comics allow you to do when you think about yourself as a storyteller? Um, what is it about comics that kind of supports that for you? They allow me to do anything. One of the great things about comics is they're very, very inexpensive to make, you know, like a low barrier of entry. So if you have a specialized interest or if you're just starting out, or if you want to do something that you don't want to try to get past, you know, gatekeepers in a traditional publishing, uh, you know, realm, you can do it yourself. Uh, you know, you can publish online at this point. So like you can reach your readers directly, which is awesome. Um, and, you know, I would compare this to something like film or animation where like you probably need a big creative collaboration with, with uh, performers and technical people, distributors, marketing, all of this stuff. In comics, you don't need any of that. So you have this very potentially a very intimate relationship between you, the storyteller and your audience. And that's amazing. It's really awesome. And it allows for a unique vision which is one of my favorite things in storytelling, whether it's coming from me or something that I'm reading, you know, like I want to see this different view of the world than my own view. And I feel like comics, because they can, they can be the work of one person, you're really able to get inside somebody's head and really kind of like experience a unique world, a unique point of view. And, you know, words and pictures, like if you can't describe something with words and or pictures, it may be beyond description, you know, so there's no limitation in terms of the storytelling, the genre, uh, what you want to say, you know, the words and pictures is basically the best we know how to communicate with. So in that way, comics offer this like communication, you know, cutting edge technology because you've got everything at your disposal. And again, one person can do it. So, you know, if you have some ideas you want to put out in the world, a comic's a really great way to do that. Uh, yeah, we're we're a good bit into the questions, and I haven't mentioned some of the things that you've worked on. So you've got Hulk, you've got Street Angel, you've got The Guild, you've got Plain Janes. Any other big gem rug titles that are out there that you want to make sure to? to yeah, drop a couple in? of years ago, whenever we first experienced the um, the lockdown began, I did a my first crowdfunder for Octobrian in 1976, the world's first blacklight comic. And it was printed with fluorescent inks. I, I, my background is in graphic design and print production. So mm -hmm. I'm able to, um, you know, like I often send my, my comics directly to the printer because yeah. like I prep the files. It's what I used to do for a day job, but it allows me to do some technical stuff. And so a couple of years ago, I did a blacklight comic using fluorescent ink and using a technique that I don't think anybody else really uses. Um, I was working a lot with a publisher called Ad House Books. They published a Street Angel collection of mine, an aphrodisiac book, 
mm-hmm. um, Super Mag. And uh, I have a really good relationship with the publisher, Chris Pitzer. He worked as an art director who specialized in print. So often whenever I have these ideas about, hey, I think we could do fluorescent ink and it'll work this way. He's the guy I go to, you know, and we kind of bounce yeah. these ideas around. And so he helped me a little bit with that. But he basically said, yeah, I think this will work. And, it, you know, and it did work. It was a really awesome, fun project. But it's one more of those kind of like comics are very playful to me. You know, like if you make yeah. a comic book. And say it didn't work, say my ink ideas turned out to be, okay, that was unsuccessful. You're not losing your house over a, a comic book that's misprinted because it, you know, it's a couple thousand dollars or something to print, print a run of comics. So mm-hmm. I appreciate that experimental part. And you know, I think that informs my other work. I think it informed Hulk Grand Design. I think Street Angel is built on that. Um, mm-hmm. Did you mention the Plain Janes? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that's a young adult graphic novel that I did with Cecil Castellucci, uh, one of my early works. And then one of my recent works, because we started it in the early 2000s uh, before young adult graphic novels were a popular genre. And mm-hmm. then it kind of went away. We didn't get to really complete it. We had talked about this bigger epic. We got the rights back to it. And then I think it was in 2018, we published a 500 page, like the complete story, which included the original graphic novels, as well as new chapters and very rewarding to do. But, you know, it's one more of those things that when we started it, it was pretty experimental. The idea of doing a young adult graphic novel, by the time we finished it 15 years later, it was like, oh, young adult graphic novels are huge now. So kind of interesting how, how those things go. And you were on the cusp of that. I'm yeah, I often say that. that it was um, like the first young adult graphic novel. It started because DC Comics, um, these are the publishers of Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, but they're also the publisher of Sandman. And mm-hmm. Sandman really kind of changed certain things in the comics industry because of how successful it was. And again, it was sort of that literary model and they were selling book versions. One of the editors of the imprint that Sandman came out of, Vertigo, with Shelley Bond, and she's an amazing editor, continues to do amazing work up to this day. But at the time, you know, she has this idea for young adult prose is very popular. Why don't we have young adult graphic novels? And she starts a young adult graphic novel imprint with DC Comics called Minx. And that's how Plain Janes came about. And that's how I met Cecil Castellucci and we started working together on the Plain Janes. Nice, nice. I love the hit. I did not know that. I did not know the the history behind some of that. Of course, I remember Vertigo. And I mean, you can't forget Sandman once you encounter that and living through that time period. I mean, yeah. So um, I was going to ask about collaborations, but you you maybe hat tipped this already. Any really robust collaborations that you want to throw out? I've mentioned some of my biggest ones, which are Cecil Castellucci, Shelley Bond, uh, my my editor, and uh, Chris Pitzer, my publisher at At House Books. The other big collaboration in my life is Ed Piscor. Uh, I'm based mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh. I'm a cartoonist here. I've, I've been making comics and living here since 2000. Ed Piscor grew up in Pittsburgh, still lives here. And we encountered each other very early on, like maybe 2002, as local creators. So we started getting together, started you know carpooling to comic book shows, kind of talking shop, showing each other our work in progress, stuff like that. And... Uh, Five years ago or so, we decided we were going to start a YouTube channel about comics called Cartoonist Kayfabe. Um, whenever the lockdown happened and everybody's kind of sitting at home with time on their hands, we went mm-hmm. daily and we've kept up that daily pace ever since. So um, it's a it's a big collaboration. 
it's outside of making comics, but it's still just clearly, you know, based in comics. We talk about yeah. comics that are influential to us or popular comics. We interview comics creators like everybody from Todd McFarlane to Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, the creators of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reunited on our show. Uh, we go nice. through some of their issues of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to kind of talk about what was going on whenever they created this or that. Um, we talk craft, you know, how we make the comics we make. So it's just a lot of comics talk from a lot of different directions, but it's become a very, a big part of what I do in terms of comics and probably how people find my work. Yeah, I, don't, I love the things that you can do now with sharing on YouTube. And um, you mentioned, was it SoundCloud? Is that what you mm -hmm. mentioned earlier? Um, because when I, again, it's kind of nostalgic here, but when I was a kid, the the biggest connection that I had to the how-to of all of this was a VHS tape of Todd McFarlane talking about making comics. I was like, what? Yes. You use a toothbrush for that? Um, so <laughs> that comic book greats, I think, was the name of that series. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a couple of those. Had a couple of them. Um, so the next question is sort of based around Street Angel, and then I also have Hulk as part of that. But we can, we can talk about any of the books that you want to talk about. I'm just curious about some of the inspiration behind... Uh, the storytelling approach that you take, like what inspires uh, Street Angel or what inspires your vision of the Hulk? Street Angel was my first published work. I had been making mini comics, which were just like photocopy them and then take them and, you know, kind of sell them at these little conventions or trade them with my friends. And, and I had been doing that for a couple of years and kind of getting better as a comic book artist. And then I started working with a coworker of mine at my day job. I was a graphic designer uh, this guy was a technical writer, and I guess he still is technically, uh, but we ended up crossing paths at work. And I was like, oh, he's a good writer. I should have him read my scripts or read my comics and give me feedback. And pretty soon that just kind of grew into us emailing back and forth ideas. And Street Angel grew out of that. And Street Angel, uh, for anyone unfamiliar, is this homeless, I describe her as a homeless ninja on a skateboard, but she's this homeless girl that's we're not sure how old she is, but let's say about 13. She lives in, you know, a bad neighborhood that's overrun with ninjas, mad scientists, alien monsters, things that you would see in a superhero comic. And she is an unmatched martial artist. So I always say she never loses a fight, although she has lost some fights in the comics. So you got to read the comic and see how that works out. But she's a, uh, a real badass. And the way she developed is I was bored with comics. It was the early 2000s. I would go to the comic book store on new comic book day. And it was a lot of like Batman Punisher kind of characters. And I had outgrown that, I guess I just wasn't excited by it. And it felt like it was kind of a narrow market, you know, like what they were serving up on new comic book day. There was a lot of sameness and street angel mm -hmm. was my attempt to like, let's do the opposite of what is being sold. Probably the, a, a stupid marketing strategy, maybe, <laughs> but I wanted something different. And, you know, I didn't see any books like that with like a young protagonist, um, you know, quasi young adult kind of story. And they were fun whenever we started doing them and all the way up till now, because we've done several Street Angel series and books, they're all self-contained. And this is the time when graphic novels are starting. So a lot of the books that are coming out, like the Punishers and Batmans would be part, you know, it'd be one part of a long series that you had to buy a bunch of different books and read over several months. 
And eventually those would get collected into a book and then you would have kind of a novel experience, which was more rewarding than trying to remember what happened three months ago in part two. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when I started Street Angel, it was like, we're going to just do these comics that are completely self-contained. If you buy, buy any issue of Street Angel, you see, and this is true today. People listening, if you want to try Street Angel, whichever book presents itself, that's a great place to start. And, you know, it was this idea of just making the kind of comics that I enjoyed and that I wasn't seeing. So fun comics. I still like a lot of superhero tropes. So you see, you know, it's a very dynamic, action-packed, adventure-style comics. Uh, there's humor in them. But it was, again, just trying to do something that was different than the sameness that I was seeing everywhere. And um, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think, worked well because I've come back to the character throughout my career. As I finish one project or have some time in the schedule, I'll do more Street Angel and the character is very versatile to go through a lot of stuff. You know, there are stories with her and her friends. There are stories with her being down in the dumps and, you know, just a lot of variety there. And maybe with the rise of young adult, um, you know, I see more and more potential as to, oh, what can you do with a, with a teenage protagonist? And, you know, teenagers are sort of emotionally exaggerated, you know, right. so they lend themselves well to storytelling subjects. Very much, very much. Yeah. And I love that idea of sort of crafting the story that you want when you look out there and you're like, oh, wow, there's there's all of this because I, I still feel like that happens. We have the sameness. We have, OK, the rebranded issue one, the resets on the universes and all of that. And, and some of it's interesting, but to get to read something that kind of still plays to the tropes, but takes a fresh approach. So, so rewarding to get to enjoy. I've done it a lot in, in the, in the projects that I take on, you know, like after street angel, I did a book. Well, I did plain Jane's after street angel, which again was, you know, one of the first young adult graphic novels. Um, I did a book called aphrodisiac that was mm -hmm. inspired by the black exploitation films of the 1970s. And I started watching those movies and, and was really inspired by them. And so I started looking for comic books that were like, okay, are there comic books that are the, counterpart of this. And I really didn't find what I was looking for, which is how aphrodisiac came about. Cause it was like, well, then I'm going to make one. Um, <laughs> you know, the blacklight comic book that I was talking about earlier, I looked all over the place to see like, are there blacklight comics? And there really aren't. So it was like, okay, I'm going to make a blacklight comic. So yeah, I'm with you. You know, if, if there's the thing that you're looking for and you can't find it because maybe it doesn't exist or, you know, there's barely any representation of it. It's great for a storyteller. You know, it's like you get to now like go explore this this new frontier that, that you're thinking about, whether it's a subject matter or style or any of that stuff. You know, like sometimes I have a technical idea and that'll be the beginning of the story um, because it's like, well, I, I think this will work. I don't see it anywhere. What's a good story to show off, you know, fluorescent ink or notebook drawings or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, I think it's a very... It's, it's a good way to work. Although as the internet has proliferated, I feel like it's harder and harder to find something that, that doesn't exist. So, you know, if you find that jump on it, cause that's kind yeah. of the gold mine. Yeah. Well, and the creative possibilities, I mean, I, I'm one of those people that just kind of like roams through what's out there and looks at the Amazon recommendations and looks at net and, you know, always trying to find the, the different things. So um, I also um, personally, like, it, you know, you can show me something good or show me something I haven't seen before. And I will mm -hmm. almost always pick the thing I haven't seen before. And I don't know if that's because if that's just a personal thing or if people tend to feel that way, but you know, when it comes to comics, like if you're doing a superhero comic, 
I've read a lot of superhero comics. You know, if you're going to show me one that's a, a new top 10 superhero comic for me, it's very rare for me to encounter that now, just because like I've read the Watchmen's and the Kingdom Comes and the, you know, Death Rays, depending on your right. taste, whatever you put up there, like I've read a lot of that stuff. So it becomes harder the more you consume to be impressed by the quality of something that like, well, I don't know, I've read 15,000 superhero comics. Where's yours right. rank? But if you show me something I've never seen before, now it's a whole new playing field that you're presenting me with. Yeah. And that's exciting. It's exciting for me as a, as a fan and as a creator. Um, do you have current things that you can talk about that you're exploring? You mentioned that you go back to Street Angel quite a bit, but any other projects or web spaces or anything like that that you want to share for listeners slash readers slash yeah um i have a patreon patreon.com slash jim rug where i post new comics work and i actually have been doing some non-fiction short stories there and i just sent a collection of those to the printer i'm self-publishing a comic book collection of like three of those short stories that I will be bringing to an upcoming comic book convention, which are kind of my deadlines, you know, if some, yeah. something's happening when I have something new there. So uh, yeah, I have a, a new comic book coming out called True Crime Funnies that'll be debuting in a couple of weeks. And after that, it'll be up on my website, jimrug.com. So um, that's kind of where I'm at right now is just like making stories, um, mostly short stories. I've become a fan of that because it allows mm -hmm. me to, again, experiment, try stuff, um, see what sticks. And some of these short stories likely will continue on in, in uh, subsequent chapters and, and, you know, keep going in that direction because so far it's been very enjoyable. It's nice. And we'll link the website in the podcast description. Um, any go-to comic shows for you that you're going to be appearing at? And I will be in, in uh, North Carolina in a couple of weeks for Heroes Convention. And As will uh, I. As will I. Oh, great. I'll see yeah. you in person. That's a yeah. great show. I've been doing that show for over 10 years and it is just so comics focused as a comic book fan first. That's, I love it. Lots of comic book artists, lots of comic book sellers. And when I say yeah. comics, I mean, graphic novels, everything that is comics, but uh, it's a great show and it's a great atmosphere. The people that put it on, I've gotten to know from Heroes Aren't Hard to Find, a local store there, and it feels like family. And I don't know if that's yeah. a you know, I hate to make a judgment like this, but maybe that's a Southern culture thing. I'm, I'm from Pittsburgh. So, you know, it's a different, you feel like you're in a different place and it's a very warm atmosphere. I love it. Um, and it's a bunch, it's a room full of people that love comics. So it's pretty nice. I'm also going to be at Baltimore. I think it's in October, September or October this year, mm -hmm. Baltimore Comic-Con, uh, which is another big comic centric show. And uh, we've done that a few times. That's actually where we started Cartoonist Kayfabe uh, five oh, years nice. ago. So this will be like our five-year anniversary of Cartoonist Kayfabe at Baltimore Comic-Con this year. Very cool. I, I've heard good things about that show as well. I'm going to have to make my way to Baltimore at some point. It has a lot in common with Heroes. You know, there are a lot of great comic book creators there, and there are a lot of comic book salesmen there. So if you're looking for, you know, that back issue or a graphic novel or a favorite artist, those are the kind of shows that you can really go and, and score those things. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I think that's all the the questions on my list. Did I miss anything that you want to make sure to to put out there? Oh, you know what? I think um you you might have asked me this, and I might have glossed over it, but about the Hulk. One of my yes, recent yes. big mm -hmm. projects was a book called Hulk Grand Design, which retells the entire history of the Incredible Hulk. 
Um, Hulk has just celebrated 60 years as a character. And I think he's one of the great fictional characters to come out of the 20th century. So Ed Piscor, who does cartoonist kayfabe with me, did a book called X-Men Grand Design that kind of takes the X-Men history and re-edits it in a way that it's like, this is the biography of the X-Men, or this is the one, you know, this is the complete story of the X-Men. Uh, fans loved it. It sold well. And so Marvel looked to do more of those. And the second one was Fantastic Four Grand Design, which another Pittsburgh artist, Tom Scioli, did. And then they asked me about doing one and Hulk was my first choice. They said yes. So uh, I spent lock. That was like my lockdown book. And um, it retells the entire story of the Incredible Hulk. And my approach with that is I wanted to pay homage to all the different artists, the, the significant artists that worked on Hulk, because every time a different artist drew Hulk, it seemed like they did their own version of the Hulk. And as a little kid, when I'm like, I loved Hulk. So when I start reading comics and thinking about, I want to draw comics, I'm seeing all these different artists versions of Hulk. And I start to realize different artists have different styles. You know, it became really cool. And the Hulk was the character where I learned that the most. So whenever I got a chance to do the history of the Hulk, I really wanted to pay homage to those different creators. So if you read it, hopefully you'll see kind of the Hulk as he develops visually throughout his history, you know, throughout his biography. And um, that book just came out a couple months ago. It's this big fluorescent green book. You can't miss it. Yeah, if, you, very you know, if you're in a bookstore with it, you will see it. Uh, <laughs> but I'm thrilled with how it turned out. Marvel gave me a lot of autonomy on it. They let me design the book collection, which is why it is a fluorescent green, you know, giant thing. Um, so it's a project that was just, it was kind of a dream project in a way, you know, Marvel asked me what I wanted to do. And when I said, Hulk, they were like, go ahead. So it's a fun one. And if you're, I always say a longtime Hulk fan or a first time reader of Hulk comics, this is the perfect book for, for either group. Love that. And I love how you seem to do things that are self-contained so people can kind of jump on, check it out or continue the series. Yeah, absolutely. It's, that's an easy one to get, uh, get in and uh, put it on your coffee table and impress all of your friends with how hip you are. That's right. That's right. <laughs> your good taste. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim, thank you so much for a great conversation. Glad to share about your work. Glad to have you back on anytime. And I'll be looking for your table at Heroes Con. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Jason. Yeah, thank you. Hope everybody out there checks out all the things. Uh-huh.